With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Rolls podcast supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, I've been joined by a Reading FC legend, Gold Machine, known as Alf Adam LaFondra. Hi, Adam. Hi, you okay? I'm good. I'm good. I'm sure all Reading fans in their head now are Southampton, just going through their head. Kind of, how are you doing there? You're in Goa at the moment. We were just talking before we started recording. How is it there in India? Yeah, you know, the, the weather's nice. Um, it's very warm. Obviously, you know, COVID's everywhere at the moment. So, you know, obviously there's a presence here, but the, the league and the club have, have got things under control and put us in a safe environment where, you know, hopefully this, well, the season is going to go ahead. So they, they've done fantastic to do that. And, you know, obviously we're going to be in a bubble, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the challenge and, and can't wait for the start of it, really. Yeah, you must be kind of like just stuck there in that room all the time. But let's talk about the great times that you've had in the UK as well. And we talk about Australia as well later. Starting with your time at Roving, just an absolute, just goals. It's really hard not to just say the word goal when I'm talking to you right now. But you obviously moved to uh, Reading in 2011. How did that move come about? And how many other clubs must have wanted to sign you? Um, well, to be fair, it, like, it was late in the window as well. Um, I made it known at the end of the season before that at the end of my last year at Rotherham, I weren't going to re-sign. I felt I'd done enough in League 2 to move and play higher. Um, you know, Rotherham were fantastic with me and, and did well by me. But I felt that this was my time to, to move up the rung and, and prove myself higher. Um, and then I just put my head down, worked hard all the way through pre-season started the games and obviously started scoring again in League 2. But then, I don't know what it was, I just got a phone call out the blue, like, look, we've had a bid accepted. They were, obviously, there was clubs sniffing around that time. Chef Wednesday was sniffing. They tried. They had a few bids rejected. I think West Ham was sniffing as well. And then Reading were just the first ones in sort of thing. You know, they, they put the bid in, got it accepted. Um, next minute, I'm on, you know, the M6 coming down. Um it's a funny story my agent at the time he told me the wrong way and obviously at that time I didn't have a built in sat nav in my car so obviously I'm, I'm driving down I've gone M6 M5 M4 so it's took me like four hours to get there so when I've got there at the hotel Brian and, and um, Nicky Hammond have gone we thought you were cancelling the deal you took that long and all this like having a joke with me and I was just like flustered as anything like, as, you, as you would be you know like obviously it's a, it was a, a massive thing for me and I was just like, yeah, I was glad to be here. Did my medical at like 11 o'clock at night. And, um, you know, the formalities were already pretty much done um, prior to me coming down. Um, obviously, on the way down, there was obviously about squad numbers. And um, I was at that, that point in my career. Obviously, I've, I've, I've always been supremely confident. And obviously, Longyear just left. So that left a big void of number nine. And I always, I always wore at that time 10 or 39. And um, I remember speaking to Brian on the way down and he was like, so what squad number do you want? And I was like, well, nine. 
obviously I won't be the main striker. Like that's what I'm there for to score goals. And he was like, yeah, I thought that anyway. I didn't think I was going to give you any other number, but I wanted to hear it from you first sort of thing. I was like, yeah, of course, that's what I want to be. I want to be the hero, obviously. And, you know, that's sort of how my journey started with, with Reading. And, and, you know, obviously I had great times there. Yeah, totally. I mean, you remember your first goal against Doncaster yeah. with a kind of like a header, which was like a bullet. I was right in line with it in the dome and stand behind it. And I thought, I've never seen quite a header like that. <laughs> so like the way you jumped that out, that was amazing. Yeah, that was, um, you know, obviously my, my, my full debut against Watford didn't go to plan. Obviously, we got tucked in at home and um, it'll probably give me a little bit of a rude awakening. I, I, at the first few games, I probably wasn't ready for the step up. You know, obviously, it's a massive adjustment period. I, I found it tougher going to the champ than I did to the Prem. Um, the jump from League Two to Championship was massive for me uh, to find that consistency and, and you know, get the, a real rhythm. And obviously, I got I found one in early doors against um, against Watford. And then I came on against Doncaster, like you say, and I think I set up Churchy's goal because I sort of jumped into the keeper. He dropped the ball and Churchy scored. And then and obviously, I got the header off. I think it was Millsy's cross back stick. And obviously, like you say, I headed it back across. Him and I had a really good impact that game. And that gave me a lot of confidence that to sort of get the monkey off your back early doors of, of scoring your first goal for the club. And um, obviously big things were expected of me because I've scored a lot of goals prior. And I was obviously wearing that trusty number nine as well. So you obviously want goals from your main number nine sort of thing. So, you know, I was buzzing with that. Yeah, you seem to kind of like, as you went go through that season, you just enjoy the pressure of coming on. Obviously, maybe we could talk about that in a bit where you maybe didn't want to be a substitute all the time. I can understand that. But kind of like that pressure of when you came on the pitch, everybody was thinking there's going to be a goal soon. That's not many people can deal with that pressure, Alf. I mean, it's, it's quite unique. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think I thrived off it, obviously, like you're saying, because it felt like when I came on, it felt like the shackles were for everyone else. And they were like, all right, if we throw something in the box here or we get a good chance here and Alf gets it, we've got belief that he's going to score it. And it, for me, that felt like them trusting me helped enhance my game even further and obviously with the belief I had in myself and still have in myself to this day I knew as soon as I get a chance I'm going to score um, and predominantly not I did I did score do you know what I mean uh, without being too big headed I, I tended to put the chances away and you know that's what I've sort of been renowned for yeah totally I've been speaking to Jimmy Kebby last week and he's talking about how your physique he thought oh how's he going to work in the championship and he said no I soon worked that one out <laughs> just saw what a goal machine Kind of like looking at you, obviously, a Manchester United fan growing up, you almost took the only got a Shelter role at Reading FC, yeah. didn't you? That, that absolute legendary sub. Yeah, you know, um, obviously, I got, he was my hero growing up as well, Ollie, um, mm. and obviously, I got to play for him as well. Um, yeah, he, it sort of was like a gift and a curse at the same time, you know, like, like we we're saying, obviously, maybe touch on it later, but obviously, I love the moments that I get, I garnered from being a super sub, but. You know, I still think I made a massive impact when I started the game as well. It's just, you know, it fell to me in them games when I've come off the bench to score goals. And, you know, I think there was other games where I think I could have helped from starting. But, you know, you take the chance you get at that time. And, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything because, you know, I've had great times at Reading. And I'm obviously remembered fondly there. And I remember them fondly because of what we both give to each other as a club and, and me as a player to the, to the fans and the club as well. We had some great times. And, you know, I don't think I changed my time at Reading any more than, than what it was, except maybe stay longer. 
No, I, yeah, your memories that you've given us are just incredible. That's, that's for certain. Kind of like moving through that season, then you get the goals against Derby, the Bristol City game when we're 2-0 down, and Matthew Monte scores that amazing backflip as well. <laughs> this is an incredible one. Kind of, and then we get the Peterborough one. Then you have a little stretch, which is quite unusual for you, for seven games without a goal. I mean, how do you deal with that as a striker when you're so used to scoring? Um, I don't know, really. For me, it's just always belief in whatever I practice. You know, obviously, the stuff on the training ground stays the same for me. Just work hard. Work hard. You create your own chances by, you know, outworking everyone else. And I think that was our sort of mantra of the team. We wasn't, you know, over, you know, blown with amazing talent. We had great, we had really good players and great and great people in the dressing room. And I think we had the ability to outwork anyone. And I, th I think if you look at throughout that season, there was very few times we'd ever be outworked. And that's inevitably in the championship what you have to do. You have to win the battle first, and then you can import your, you know, your ability, your class, or whatever you have strength on them and you know we, we we did that in in many games you know especially the back end of the season where you know Robbo was unplayable for three months like literally unplayable I don't think any I don't think I'd, I've seen anyone play that way ever in my entire career of someone so dominant of, of players in such a physical league yeah Jason Roberts was an incredible signing but have seen impacted your position up front as well Okay, like who would you say was your favourite partner up front to play with? Would it be Roberts or Noel Hunt? I'll go left field. I'd say Pav. Pav? Wow. Yeah, I wasn't in, the, in, the that season, in the third season, we had a great you know, partnership. I think um, when we played up front together, um, we did really well. And, you know, I think we scored another 30 between us as a partnership. So it wasn't a bad partnership. Um, mm. Obviously, I love playing at front with Hunty as well because he, he works his nuts off and one-headers, one which he shouldn't win. And, you know, for me as a gambling striker, he made things a lot easier because I always anticipated he was going to win it because, you know, seven times out of ten, he'd win it. Then um, again, with Robbo, you know, he, he holds everything up, everything, literally, like I said, everything. He can just hold two people off while I'm just, you know, flying about him and buzzing about him. And he tended to get a lot of the attention Um and then he'd, he'd either lay it on for me or, you know, pass it wide to Jimmy or Joby and, and they'd lay it on for me. Um, so, obviously, all, all three great partnerships. But for me, I think I probably worked better with Pav because I had, you know, more of a season-long partnership with Pav where I started a majority of the games and, and we started together more in tandem. Hi, it's Paul here just dropping in to say it's now time for our mental health chat. It's a new regular section we have on our podcast, joined by James Carter, and hopefully you enjoy listening to it. After this, we go straight back into the Adam LaFondra podcast. So here we go then. Hi, EPR. It's uh, Jim here again with Paul. Uh, very glad to be back with you all. Um, I know that this came on uh, at the back end of uh, one of the last pods, so uh, thanks to Paul for uh, getting that out. And I uh, hope it's uh, even if it's helped a couple of you or you know one or two of you, then that's brilliant. And hopefully, we can give you a little bit more. I guess at the minute uh, we're all uh, feeling the uh, the effects of both uh, a PNE loss, sorry Paul, and uh, <laughs> and also coming up to lockdown 2.0. So. Um, I don't know if you've got anything else to add after pouring your heart out, Paul, about PNE. Oh no, that, <laughs> that was oh, that was just painful. 
flashbacks of last season at points. But in other ways, it was positive. So I'm going to try and keep it positive in some ways, but also I'm just putting myself in denial. I'm trying to black it out. <laughs> Good lad. Well, I think that's a perfect way to do it. I'm, I must say from a Blackpool perspective, we're, uh, we're, we're turning it around a little bit, but um, certainly it's probably nicer to be at the top of the league at the moment. And I hope you carry on and get through these next few weeks with all the, uh, with all the injuries going on as well. It's interesting, we were talking about this email earlier in the week, weren't we? We were thinking about sort of the imminent lockdown. And uh, and I just sort of wondered, you know, whether it's interesting just to try and sort of reflect on that more than anything. I guess, you know, we've got the sort of major issues at the moment, like sort of flying around, haven't we? You know, we've got the pandemic, uh, you know, we've got the government sort of to-in and fro-in and, you know, sort of not falling down in certain areas, which I think causes quite a lot of sort of tension. Um, and also, I think more pressingly, you know, there's something about the Twitter and the news cycle and social media. Um, and I think it's leading us all sort of down quite a sort of a, a, a dizzying and a sort of quite a frustrating sort of place. And I just wondered sort of what your views are on about sort of a little bit of weariness or anxiety sort of creeping in with the clocks going back and everything like that. What are you finding at the moment? Yeah, it does definitely increase your anxiety levels. Is for me, that's for certain. Um, one thing that definitely makes me anxious is when I see the vaccine trials are finishing, or not finishing, or being halted. But then you have to put in the perspective of that's always the way it happens with vaccine trials. So when you see news like that, you can think, oh, straight away, this is terrible news. This is not going to happen. This is awful. But actually, there's that kind of area in between when it will be fine. But if you're feeling very anxious, you don't read it like that. You just feel that anxiety straight away. Yeah, that is a very good observation because I, I think the that sort of level of sort of engagement in the news cycle and engagement in social media that we are all now facing, you know, especially if we're on our own or we're locked down or, you know, we're not seeing our mates face to face or we're not sort of engaging with our families, then we do tend to gain quite a lot of interaction from media space and one thing i've been thinking about recently is just how um everything needs to be your problem you know <laughs> it's almost like like you say you know yeah the vaccine's not gonna yeah the vaccine program has hit has hit the buffers well okay vaccine programs hit the buffers all the time like you're saying you know it's, it's got it and and there isn't that necessarily that sort of level of perspective that we then have and i think that's really quite challenging and it sort of turns that um those sorts of senses that we need to be doing something now, that we need to be acting and we need to be responding to things rapidly, you know, things like work email. I mean, geez, you know, like I think 10 years ago, there was no such bloody thing. Well, there probably was, but you know, 10 years ago, there was no such thing as like, you know, just imagine what people had to do at the, at the Prue or at Huntley and Palmer's, you know, a letter comes in, you know, a letter comes into the intro, it doesn't get actioned, you know, and it goes back out and someone about the action that they need to do for five days you know what does that work you know and so now we're just constantly up aren't we yes and i think social media doesn't help yeah. that at all like you're just saying because social media is it's made incredibly to get you engaging it's that notification thing when you open up your social media and you say oh i've got a notification and then there's that self-gratification yeah. you get because oh someone's interested what are they going to do? Someone likes it or something like that. Whoever's site it is, whether it's my own site or EPR, you kind of get that. But with that becomes a toxic part of it as well. 
because you become addicted to that. And when the addiction is created by bad or negative news that you can't control, that's very hard to control your emotions on it because you constantly want the good here. And the good here yeah. hasn't come for a long time with COVID and it's not going to be coming for a while yet. There are good things that have come. So I don't want to be, you know, really pessimistic. But no. the good thing that we'll find out is that when we can all get back to whatever the new normal is, that is nearer to the normal that we had before. But you're not going to find that out on social media. But we all no. need moment to get through it. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a good point. You know, we as sort of human beings are, you know, in essence, we're planners of the future, right? You know, that is the the innate gift that has been given to us through evolution, um, you know, and that's what sets us apart from the rest of the animal world. You know, how can we plan? Um, you know, how do we sort of forward plan? How do we try to sort of manage our place in society or places with our families and, you know, friends, social units, all that sort of stuff. And in such uncertainty and such uncertain times, I should say, how, how are we expected to, to fulfil that role? How are we expected to almost fill our brain and, and, you know, how do we try to sort of deal with that? uncertainty because what that does is that level of uncertainty that we're faced with every day creates sort of stress type behaviors you know we start to think about uh, you know classic anxiety sort of things like you know mind reading you know jumping ahead uh, you know and, and trying to sort of work work through what might happen you know when actually all we know is what's going on right now you know black and white thinking you know like yes no you know a lot of the social media is based in that sort of space where you have to fall down on one side of an argument or another you know lots of procrastination you know i was thinking about churchill though he's probably a bit cancelled at the moment you know but uh well who knows but uh you know you're thinking about sort of churchill when he says you know don't let don't let the perfect don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good you know because we do tend to procrastinate when we are in a stressful position because we don't know that a decision is going to be the right one. You know, and, and I find that all the time. You know, I'm constantly having to battle myself to try and bring myself back to the present and trying to think, actually, right now is important. Each can look after itself, you know, and, and all that sort of, you know, like all the hippie talk about the present being a gift and we should all take control of that. But I do think that this whole sort of element has really driven us into uh, quite a mind-boggling sort of, sort of anxiety, pressure, and, and, and worry, I think, you know, just because of that lack of control. Yeah, no lack of control is the major issue, isn't it, that we're all having now. We can't, going back to the beginning of what you were saying about planning, we can't plan a holiday. <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah. You cannot do these basic things. You can't plan to go and see your parents, your friends, you just can't do that. You can't go to someone else's house. And when they're saying, which is a major deal for a lot of people, Christmas won't be normal. Now for a lot no. of people, that's the one time when they see their family once a year. They might find that challenging, <laughs> but they will see them at that point. And, you know, part yeah. of me selfishly is thinking, I don't have to see my family at some point this season. I want to see in the summer. I want to see in the Christmas. I want to see my dad because he listens to this. So I'll definitely say that. <laughs> no, I do want to see my dad. Definitely. But I yeah. understand with other families, that's a real upsetting time, isn't it? You can't control anything at the moment. There's this big government person out there controlling it and then whatever you think about how they're doing it they are in the person that are saying we can't do this we can't do that and once somebody's got to the point when they're saying 
you can't go outside and meet someone more than one person you think this isn't normal how, how can your brain compute yeah. that so you go into an even smaller space when you're on your own which cannot always be good with social media and getting yeah. yourself involved in arguments like you mentioned and it's just it's an anger yeah. outlet isn't it oh god <laughs> Don't get me started on that. I got into some very difficult, I got into a very strange world on Twitter the other day. Um, but you're right, you know, and, and and I think the opportunity, you know, when you think about sort of loneliness and social isolation, we talked about it in the last pod, you know, it's very easy and simple to fall into that sort of trap of, of uh, yeah, actually, well, you know what, not today. I won't speak to anyone today or, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, I'll speak to them tomorrow or whatever. And so I think there are some real areas that I think, you know, potentially we could be thinking about um, and really just trying to sort of give ourselves a bit of a break. Um, I think we can actually be in control of our, uh, our emotions and uh, how we view the world. Um, a lot of conversations out there about... Um, mindfulness and you know sort of living in the present like i said it sounds a bit hippie-ish but honestly and i said this in the last pod there is so much going on in that world and that space around mindfulness uh, practice um getting out reaching out to those that you trust um you know understand that you know just be kind to yourself and you know realize that humans you know we as humans make mistakes you know it's all natural and uh, you, we could really do, I think, with learning a bit of sort of self-compassion, sorry, self-care, I should say, and compassion, because those sorts of elements uh, often get overlooked. And actually, when you look at positive psychology and the evidence around that, you know, they're actually very important and they're massive indicators to a bet, you know, to better emotional well-being. Also, things like savoring the moment, you know, living, you know, living in the moment and enjoying what you're doing and actually embracing what you're doing, focusing on what you're doing. Um, and also, you know, like gratitude. Uh, I, there's loads of literature about sort of showing gratitude. That's to people around you. That's to yourself. Um, and I think they're really interesting sort of almost like personal factors that you can actually manage because there's a stat that they say that, you know, over... 40% of our own well-being is down to things that we can control ourselves. You know, it's like this sort of circle of control. I'll, I'll send you a, a nice um, a nice little diagram that you can put up on the web. But, you know, anything along those lines where you actually think you're in control, I think is helpful. What do you think of that? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, because, like I was saying before, at the moment, that's what we're lacking, isn't it? And we kind of like, we need to be kinder to ourselves, and I totally agree, because some days you think, oh, I won't do this, I won't do that. But some days you have to make the effort to do that, but also you shouldn't judge yourself too much on that because some days yeah. you just don't want to. We just yeah. It's actually a negative force to force yourself to do something. But living in the moment is a big thing for me right now. And I find that when I go outside, go down to the river, I've been listening to this Alan Partridge uh, podcast thing, available on all. Oh, day. yeah. Yeah. House, yeah. he, talked about, he talked about leaves and how they're so amazing so i was looking at all these leaves okay and i was thinking adam partridge is right how does this happen he's taking me on a deep journey here they are yeah amazing. that's right like, it's living in the moment and just absorbing what's around you you know it's free you don't have to pay for yeah, it yeah absolutely yeah and and you know big big point there um you know 
uh, again, what we talked about in the last pod, you know, physical activity, getting outdoors, connecting into nature. Um, really try and focus on your sleep as well. Um, I know it's really tough. There is a website that uh, if you guys have a Berkshire postcode, uh, Berkshire and Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire postcodes, actually. So even the Oxford lot might want a piece of that. There's a, an app called... Uh, <laughs> There's an app called Sleepio, S-L-E-P-I-O, um, and it's a it's web-based and it's based on cognitive behavioural therapies techniques from the University of Oxford around trying to better manage your sleep patterns, your sleep hygiene, uh, how you sort of get consistency in your sleep and so on. Honestly, it is one of the most important things you can do with your health, uh, bar giving up the tabs and giving up the booze, which no one likes to do. But, you know, the sleep is essential in that respect uh, because it, it, it regenerates your brain. And, you know, let's be honest, as we get older, the brains, the brains do not sort of stick around. <laughs> you know, brain cells don't stick around. And, uh, you know, so we need to do as much as we can. So they're, they're the things, really. And also, finally, just to sort of really full, go to the full circle, I should say, is really trying to participate taking a bit of a balanced media diet. Um, I heard that phrase, the balanced diet with the uh, bran flakes and, you know, sort of berries and what is it now, nowadays in Reading now? Is it okai berries or uh, oh, probably flax? it's got to have the granola in it and probably a Costa made, coffee though. as well. No, it'd be one of those made organic ones that are made by yeah, some that's it. factory that's in Berkshire somewhere, probably in Woodley. And it's winter. <laughs> They call it something very trendy, yeah. Um, but there's something about you know, a balanced a balanced diet on media, you know, on, on how you uh, consume your media. So think about reducing your social media. Recognise stressful triggers. Don't get into arguments on political Twitter or Reading food-based Twitter like I did last week. Um, give yourself some device downtime. Uh, you know, focus on where you gain your energy from online. You know, so something like EPR, we know very it's very important uh, for football, for Reading, for the town, for the community, for the people that access it. You know, stick at it, be kind, and um, you know, just generally, just uh, it's going to be a tough month. There's no doubt about it. But recognise that there are factors that you can control. Be kind to yourself. And, you know, just go easy on yourself and, and, and just make sure you're getting that routine and getting out and all those bits. Hope that's been helpful, Paul. It's, it's good to have a chat. No, definitely. Uh, really good. I really enjoyed it. I mean, kind of getting that message out there at this time when people are kind of in a spaces they're not used to. Uh, this is not an area that I'm kind of like used to all the time. This happened slowly over a period of months since March. But have the conversation with people, definitely make time for someone else. And when they say to you, oh, they're okay and all that, just kind of make sure they are. Because yeah. men in particular find it difficult to talk about how they feel about these kind of things. It's just, a, just and that's, you know. That is, that's really important, Paul. And I just, you've just made me think actually, it's International Men's Day on the 19th, um, which is, uh, you know, an interesting time, uh, mainly on social media, certainly what I've seen. Um, you know, again, it's about pulling up the drawbridges more often than not. But I think, you know, we could potentially you know, do something different on that. And, um, and hopefully thing will, will help have those conversations. Reach out to those that you care about and, um, 
you know, thanks again for giving us the time and, and let the, you know, you get over this mini hump and uh, you're back on track soon enough and hopefully everyone else can, uh, you know, keep supported during lockdown and, uh, you know, URs and all that. Lovely finish there, James. Cheers. Thanks a lot. <laughs> in the podcast I've done from that team, that the perception as a fan of uh, Pav is very different to the one that you as players saw. He actually seems to be a really good person. And kind of like, well, I say that, not a bad person, but like really funny. And kind of like, yeah, had a bit yeah, of character about him. He was a great guy. Um, I think, obviously, he got brought in with a lot of money um, with, obviously, Anton bringing him in. But I think he was a, he was a great person and a really good player if, if we could play to his strengths. And... You know, he was um, a real good addition to the, to the squad, really. Um, it was just obviously a shame in that first season in the Premiership where he didn't quite get the goals uh, maybe he deserved because obviously sometimes it'd be, the, the chances would be falling to me maybe when, when he'd come off. And obviously I was on penalties as well, which obviously could help him too. Yeah, moving through that season that was so amazing. We have the games against Watford when you score a goal in January. I still can't work out how you get your body in that position up. It's, I kind of watch it back and I think that is an absolute instinctive goal scorer. You'll do anything to score. Yeah, definitely. Um, look at the Newcastle one in the Prem. I throw my body at it. You know, I'll do anything to score a goal. Um, you know, I would say something daft then about, about misses and kids. I'd throw, you know what I mean? I'd throw one of them. Do you go for it. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not, I've always been the sort of person where, you know, I'll do anything to score. My game revolves around scoring goals and, you know, we could win 10-0 and if I don't score, I'd be fuming, you know. That's just me as a person. Mm. And I'd rather win 1-0 me score it than 10-0 and me not score. That's such a striker. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> I, I know he's probably the wrong mindset to have to be more of a team player, but mm. uh, me as an individual, is, that's something that's I, I've been driven off scoring goals for the whole of my life since I was about six years old. Um, so, I'd, I'd, obviously... You know, it's evolved as I've got older. You, I understand the team game and, and the team works obviously adapted to that when I got to Reading. Um, but personally, I, I just love scoring goals and especially goals that matter. Yeah, it's that drive that means you've had that success, though, doesn't it? If you didn't have that, you probably yeah, wouldn't be at that level. Yeah. So then we have the like six successive wins. Then we have the real glamour, kind of like really starts to build the pressure. The game against Leeds United. Yeah. kind of not long to go and <laughs> it's one of the easier ones you've scored for Reading yeah. just chesting it in but what a massive moment that was the sheer relief throughout the stadium yeah I always seem to score goals against Leeds as well after, you know after that period um, obviously Howell's headed it back across over the keeper and obviously I'm just like I've sort of followed it in from the cross on the backside and you know, the defender's not gone with me and it's an easy enough tap-in for me. And the stadium sort of erupted. It was a bit of a grudge match, weren't it? Obviously, Warnock came back. Uh, Warnock came there. They were smashing everyone. Jem got smashed that game. They, they, didn't they have an early red as well? Yes. They had an yeah. early red as well. So, you know, it was a bit of a, you know, a dirty lead. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. Like one of them games. And it's probably a typical champ game fighting for, you know, promotion as it was in it's sort of a, a real good test for us and, you know, we came out trumps, which was great for our belief as well as a club and a team. I've got to mention Joe Carachan. What a player he was for Reading Football Club. I mean, I've spoken to him a few times now, but the influence that he had on that season as well, you know, you're friends with Jem and just tell us what your thoughts on him. Yeah, Jem was an outstanding footballer, you know, um, he's been cruelly done by injury, I think, and, you know, 
he was outstanding. You know, he was like the heartbeat him and, and obviously Ledge in the middle. Um, were unbelievable quality players and a real he was a leader at such a young age and you know sort of put the club on his back uh, when they went through the bad times well obviously I was still watching fondly as as, as you do but um, you know I could see that he was sort of struggling as, with the club as well at the time and I don't think he ever wanted to leave the club either and you know he, he was really sort of a, a one club man but you know he's, you can't underestimate his impact he had over the you know the years he was at the club as well Totally. He's speaking to him. His love for the club is just always there. It's just remarkable, really. <laughs> yeah. But we're now going to get to the match that everyone is thinking about, talking about, and I can retweet it a zillion times, and it's still not enough, is it, Adam? You yeah. must see it at least once a day in your timeline on Twitter. It's the yep. Southampton match. You talk us through that and just, you know, just go away. I just keep talking. <laughs> Funny enough, I've literally just had someone's retweeted me and they've quoted it saying, and, and LaFondre says, leave it to me. Um, yeah, I get a lot of mentions, obviously, about that game. It was such a crazy game, you know, a mint stadium, playing against a quality team, um, Friday night on telly, um, two informed teams going at it. Uh, Robbo scored a worldy header from Jimmy's cross. Um, I think Ricky Lambert's equalised. And they were, they were probably a little bit on top in the game. and um, But it was very similar to our game plan throughout the season anyway. We, would, we were always work hard, stay compact, stay in the game. And then, you know, let's see what happens come the end of the game. Obviously, throw me on, go a little bit more expansive and, and go for the throat a little bit more. And um, Obviously, like, like you say, I watch the goals back a lot myself. My dad, he'll, he'll probably watch this and he'll, he'll agree. He's watched... The Southampton game on he's got it saved on his box or whatever, like his skybox or whatever on the you know the BBC um review that night and you know he's on YouTube watching it when he's in his taxi. He's like watches that religiously and he like obviously even when I watch it still I get you know tingles on my arms and stuff like that when when I'm uh, when the ball comes back to me still and you know obviously I fire it in. Um it's just it's crazy, you know, obviously coming on at I can come on about sixty minutes and um, even at that time I probably weren't even thinking you know anything like oh I'm going to score here or anything like that. I'm just thinking like let's just go make an impact try and you know change the game or whatever and obviously when the move started obviously I've, I've won the ball passed it to Hunty Hunty's played it wide to oh no I passed it to straight to Jimmy Hunty's missed the ball it's been straight to Jimmy and Jimmy took a touch forward then cut it back I think I've shouted obviously leave it and then I just slammed it as hard as I could and it's you know, flew into the top corner and you know, from there, obviously, you can hear me screaming. I think when I run around the back of the net, I'm, I'm the one screaming. It's not the fans screaming, it's me screaming. Um, and then after that, Hunt, he slapped me the hardest ever in the corner when I celebrated. He slapped me so hard. I think I got a red mark up on, still now. He slapped me so hard in the back. And then we were just, obviously, everyone was going everywhere. We were going everywhere. Um, and then the last one, Benny's come on. I think Benny's, I think Benny's won the flick. And then defenders, I've sort of gambled that the defender is going to edit back to the keeper. I think he thought I was going to challenge him. So as I've come off him, he's sort of gone for the contact to push him off it and he's got no push off the header. So I thought, oh, this is me, this. And then as the keepers come flying out, there's only obviously one thing I could do there and that's take it round him. As soon as I took it round him, I knew it was game over. Right? That's obviously why I'm going like that. Game over. I did too fair, did it? In the Leeds game as well. It's obviously arrogant from me, but um, 
it's just just a sort of where I was at at the minute. I was just like, nah, game's done. We're, we're going. See ya. <laughs> that celebration is so iconic. I mean, we made a T-shirt of you pointing to the back with your name on it as well. And yeah. it just must be amazing seeing that. I mean, I don't blame your dad for watching it. Redden fans, I mean, I must watch it at least once a, at least once a week. At least once a week. It's going like, so enjoyable being in the away end. That is one of the best days ever for Redden Football Club. Just going to the games and thinking, we're going to win. Not yeah. how, it's just going to happen. It's just amazing. Yeah, we, we, we sort of had that as players as well. We sort of, especially towards the end of that season, we were just, you know, ticking them off sort of thing. We never really looked further ahead of the, other than the next game. That was sort of like the mantra was win next game. And, you know, Brian and, and Gibbo really kept us focused on that. And, and the staff at the club as well, they were, were fantastic too. Uh, just only being focused on the game that we can, you know, impact, which was the next game. You know, as soon as we won, it was right, let's do the next game. And then, and then that was sort of the building blocks onto, you know, obviously the run we went on and, and how we re responded for whenever we had a setback. Yeah, totally. I mean, that kind of takes us top of the league. Then we're really kind of like moving forward and we look like we're definitely going to win the game, win the title that season. In the last game, though, well, not the last one, we had the goal, you score against Palace, another header. Kind of like, how is it when we get to that Nottingham Forest match? When we've won the league in the last few minutes from later, and it just think the stadium on the pitch, the celebrations, you must think that mentality you've had for the whole season has come together and now you can celebrate it. Just get into that Premier League. Yeah, it was unbelievable. You know, for me, 12 months earlier, not well, the start of that season, I was in League Two. So, mm. you know, we, in 180, I'm in the Prem. Do you know what I mean? That was like dreams come true sort of stuff. You couldn't write it. Um, and I was, you know, with everyone, we we, we all loved each other. It's like a band of brothers, um, the players. So, you know, we it was something fantastic we could all share together and, you know, share with the staff as well because the staff were, were closely knit in with us as well. We were all intertwined with each other in the club sort of fabric as well, which, you know, I think helped bring everyone close together. And, you know, we, we were under no illusions how hard it was going to be. And, you know, obviously the season before when they lost the playoff final um, and we had a bit of a rocky start, Everyone was thinking, "Oh, what are we going to do this season?" And to come out at the end of it, champions of the of obviously the championship going back to the going to the Premier League, then it was something unheard of. Realistically, you know, what I mean, the expectations weren't there for us to do that, but it was something that we believed as a group, and to share that together was something that I don't think you could take away from us forever in our lives. I think you know we had a special group of players and and special staff that we can share that with. You know, totally. And I'd, I'd say a special manager in Brian McDermott as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, obviously, I don't know if he gets the credit he deserves. Uh, obviously, I've seen a lot of the time um, he was sort of, you know, discarded in the Prem. I think, obviously, that was quite harsh, really, because he took us up, obviously. And I don't think he was given the full resources that he was expecting or wanted, do you know what I mean, to, to have a real good go at, at the Premier League. And... You know, ultimately, we were under no illusions how, how tough it was going to be going into that season. Um, it was a bit of a gut-wrencher for, you know, him to be sacked in, like, in like February, March time when, you know, why, why not give him next season as well to to chance to bring us straight back up? You know, he's got proven track record now of getting teams out of the Championship and and to give him that, you know, benefit of the doubt. Well, surely that was our, our thinking as players. But, you know, I think um, obviously we don't make the decisions like that. So it's... it's you know, it's not our decision to make. 
What are you thinking during the summer? Obviously, we've gone up to the Premier League. It's going to be tougher, isn't it? Straight away, this automatic. No players coming in. We've obviously got the new owner. Nothing's really major happening. We do bring some players in, obviously, Gunter, McCleary, and some others as well. But no really massive names that maybe we would have expected. Yeah, I think, obviously, for me, I was happy because I thought, oh, I'm going to play. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to play. I'm going to fulfill my dream. But obviously, I would have liked more competition. Obviously, there was Pav, me, Robbo still, obviously, Hunty, Churchy. We still had, obviously, strikers, but I would have thought they would have gone a bit further and got someone else. Obviously, um, you know, that's what normal Premier, te- Premier League teams do. They normally go out and spend a lot of money and, and strengthen the squad all over. Um, obviously, we've got, like you say, we've got Ma- uh, Maps, we've got Gunts, we've got GMAC, obviously, we've got Guffs and, and Pav. And then a few experienced boys on either side of that as well on a free. But obviously we, as a squad, and, and I'm sure them boys as well would say, we'd, we'd probably expect more, do you know what I mean, coming in through the door. I'm sure the fans would have wanted a big name signing or a couple of big name signings. But um, I don't think it really affected us that much as, as players because we just thought, right, well, we can do this and we've just shown what we can do in the championship when everyone doubts us. Why can't we go and do it in, in the Prem? You know, we had that sort of mentality where we'd, you know, sort of die for each other on the pitch and, that's what we plan to do, realistically. We, we ran till we dropped every, every game to keep ourselves in it. Yeah, definitely. I don't think anyone can criticise the effort of the players during that season at all. Just lacked a little bit of quality, I think, in certain areas, which you can't do anything about, can you? Going into the first day of the season, we have a standard Adam Lafondra moment on the first day of the season. It's the last minute. There's a penalty. There's only one man in the building who's going to take that. The pressure of knowing this is your first game in the Premier League, you've got a last-minute penalty. How do you feel when you're walking up to take that? Yeah, it's just normal. Just can't wait to take it. For me, I think a penalty is a goal. You know, it's just a goal waiting to happen for me. Um, so that's the sort of confidence I had in myself and I always have in myself when I'm at, I'm at the spot. I just think, right, this is this is just gets me started in the Premiership and, you know, gets me going. Um, I didn't really feel the pressure of... We weren't expected to do anything, do you know what I mean? Everyone was expecting us to get beat every game or whatever. So um, we put in a great performance against Stoke. I think obviously we had an unlucky goal that, that we conceded with Feds. Um, and we had a penalty in the last minute. It could have been it quite easily been, you know, I could have been scoring for three points. But, you know, that, the, the fine margins in the Prem don't, don't allow for them sort of things to happen. No, no definitely not. But... How do you find it when you're uh, in the Premier League and you're going through a period of games and you're not picking up points, you want to get that first win? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, when you look at the fixtures, you always, you know, sort of look at the ones where you think you can get points and, and, and where you can get the win. And, you know, obviously the longer it went on, we were thinking, like, the big boys are coming here, like, you know, where are we going to pick them up sort of thing. And it was, obviously we were all, we were in every game and a lot of the draws we had at the start, we should have won. I think that's what, you know, ultimately let us down come the end of the season as well. Games we should win, we end up drawing. And the ones we should draw, we end up losing. So, you know, it's a recipe for disaster doing that in the first place. And the ones we shouldn't win, we win. Do you know what I mean? So, like, it was, uh, it was, it was weird. It was weird. Like, it's, it's quite hard to get your head around it because the, the, the difference between the champ and the prem quality-wise is small but massive in the final third because you give Premiership striker 
two chances, one's a goal. You give a champ striker maybe three or four chances, one's a goal. So, you know, the margin's so minor that you can't afford any mistakes. You have to be perfect. For a team like Reading at that time, we had to be, you know, perfect all the way through the game. And we couldn't manage to do that, sustain that for, for 90 minutes, unfortunately. No, you also need a little bit of luck. I remember the game against yeah. Chelsea, the offside. Yeah. And I also remember the Newcastle game, the Denver Barham ball. It's just frustrating. It must be for a player in that situation as it is for a fan. Yeah, definitely. I think the Fulham game at home as well. We were mm. winning that game, should have won. Drew three all. The Wigan game away, we should have won. We lost three two. You know these sort of games. Obviously, looking back, if you take a point from there, you get three points at home. Obviously, it's, you know, looking back years and years ago. But now, but still, you know, they're the sort of things you look back as a player and you think like. You left points on the table there, and that's what's the most disappointing thing about it, I think, as a footballer. You do score two more goals in our first win in the Premier League against Everton. That must be such a relief to get that win and kind of get those two goals and a win. And the changing room must have been great after that. Yeah, we're buzzing, you know, obviously against you know a top team as well. They were a top six team at the time, Everton, a uh, big Fellaini up top. Um, you know, I think Morales and Osman and Pina, you know, they had a good team, so. Um, to beat them at home was, was something uh, give us great confidence as well. To be fair, I was fuming. I should have had Natri at that game as well um, when I took the keeper on and and, and then missed because they had a guy on the on the line. I should have scored, but, um, but yeah, it was still a great win. And I, obviously, I was buzzing. Obviously, scoring two in a game like that uh, against Everton was, like I say, I, I always revert back to you know before that I was scoring two against Plymouth away. So to score two against Everton at home season and a bit later was something I couldn't even dream of so um, I was just buzzing with everything you know I loved every every minute I was on the pitch I love how these goals are still in your head that didn't go in <laughs> they're still there it's still yeah, kind of plenty of chance, plenty of ones that I've missed in my head yeah they, they sort of haunt me to be fair ever in a way the crossbar I should have scored hmm. do you remember the ones you missed more than the ones you scored Did they, they kind of no, like no, I remember all of them <laughs> I try and erase the ones that I miss, but the bad misses are the ones that stick with me. Yeah, totally, it must be. Um, but then you score against Manchester United, obviously your boyhood team, the team you supported. That must have been a fantastic feeling as well. Yeah, well, I had about, I don't know, about 10, 12 like, family members in the crowd and obviously my, my, my little daughter and my, my missus as well watching. So, you know, to share that with them was, was something really special for me. I think it was on my birthday as well, I think, or a day after my birthday. And, um, you know, to score a head off a corner against United um, I was you know I was over the moon um, it was unbelievable because you know I didn't <laughs> I never thought I'd play against United let alone score against them so um, to do it um, you know obviously it was always like um, achievement sort of ticked off in, in my list that I've always wanted to do and I was sort of doing that weekly uh, in the Prem for Reading That was another one of those crazy games though wasn't it wasn't it 4-3 at half time absolutely mad game yeah ridiculous game um yeah, it was, we were naive in that game as well. We we needed to shut up shop a little bit. You know, when we go 3-2 up, obviously it's hard to against a, a class team, don't get me wrong, but um, when you take the lead, lose the lead, and then retake the lead, you have to have a bit of nouse about you and, you know, game manage the situation. And I don't, and I don't think we did that well enough against in that season, definitely, which we'd been really good the season before and we didn't really game manage the, the teams and the games properly. Um, and we went a little bit gung-ho against everyone as if the championship style would work against the Prem team. And you know, like I said, the quality difference wouldn't allow for that. Did you swap uh, shirts with anyone from the Man United team that game? 
<laughs> I went for Rooney's, but he, he'd already given it away. And then I tried getting Van Persie's like a little hot, like a little uh, <laughs> sellout, and I couldn't get him either. So I was fuming. But to be fair, my um, my shirt, I didn't I didn't really collect many shirts from the Prem because I thought I'm not here for collecting shirts. I'm here to you know enhance myself and you know score goals and and you know do my job realistically. I'm I weren't here for like a you know this is a one and I didn't expect myself to be a one and done. I wanted to be there long term. Then I can do that, prove myself. But um, ultimately, I failed in that aspect. But um, I ended up picking up. I think Agu I got Aguero's and Torres's shirt. They were the only it's two. Not that up. bad, is it? <laughs> They're not bad booby prizes. I'll take them. <laughs> not too bad at all. Then we move on to probably the craziest month of your whole career, January two thousand thirteen. A month when you end up being called being given the Premier League Player of the Month. Um, that's kind of an indication of where we're going here. You start with two goals away in an FA Cup match against Crawley, so that's a good start straight away. Yeah. But then the chaos begins against West Brom. Um, that game itself was just absolutely mad. Uh, talk us through that game, Adam. Um, yeah, like you said, it was a little bit, um, just a little bit crazy. Felt a bit, you know, it was a bit end-to-end. -end. I think... Um, Kaku had a worldie against us in the early doors. And I think he got brought off after 60 or 70 and then it sort of changed. The game sort of like swung open a little bit, a little bit more open. Um, and then, you know, we got one. It sort of just breathed life into us. Um, then obviously, I think I scored the second one. Then obviously Pav scores the third right at the end as well. And uh, I think I think obviously we we weren't doing great at that time in the league, so I think all the fans had started leaving early because obviously, you know, as you do when you're losing, you know, I don't know, more or less every week or whatever, or not getting the results every week, you know, your confidence wanes, and um, you know that everyone's trying to get to the car early. But I think we made sure, especially that month, that no one left early, uh, especially after that game. Anyway. Oh, I have to admit, when you took the penalty, I, I couldn't watch. <laughs> it was too much pressure. It was pressure. It's only the equaliser. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's so massive. Only the equaliser. Make it sound so easy. It's so simple. You just walk up, bag it in, and that's it. But kind of like the Alex Pierce celebration with the flag, the corner flag at the end as well. I mean, that's a legendary moment as well. <laughs> yeah, Pierce has sort of got some iconic moments as well. I think Donny away as well when he did a step over as one of them as well. Step <laughs> over. When he's wearing white boots, I've never seen that like it. Yeah, that was the slowest step over ever though, wasn't it? I mean... Yeah, he was doing it over a beach ball. <laughs> yeah, God. Then you go to Newcastle. You get two goals there. Hope Atman comes alive as well. He we just signed him and he set you up lovely, doesn't he? A beautiful he meant that first pass, didn't he? No way yeah. was that <laughs> Definitely the great assist from him. Um, we obviously we, he played for Crawley, didn't he, in the the third round of the cup and yeah. um he had a good game against us. Um and then next minute he was in the dressing room sort of thing and um uh, I think he came on not long after me or or similar time to me. Um the first goal of not really know much about it and just you know when Jimmy's when Jimmy's past someone and running and he's at full flight he's getting a box because no one's catching him and I managed to get in front I think it was Mike Williamson and he, and he sort of rugby tackled me from behind and he's quite lucky really because as he's rugby tackled me he's like sort of pushed me into the ball and hit my like chest and just rolled yeah. in and I remember getting up thinking well I'll take that and then I just sort of slid off celebrating in front of them and but yeah I'll take that what a, what a nice entrance sort of thing I, don't, I had like a I used to take like caffeine gum 
And I don't think I'd even spat it out by the time I scored my first. So I don't even, like, obviously I was on for like a minute or so or whatever and scored. And then the second one, like you say, um, you know, Hopes faked the, the shot and just hit it off his knee, shin, toe and ankle and it fell nicely to me and I sort of whipped it around Colacchini at the near stick and, you know, ran off again and, you know, we've managed to hold on. It was, you know, that was an amazing win winning there. Uh, you know, St. James Park is sort of like a staple of the Premier League. It's such an amazing stadium, even with a little bit of a slope on the pitch. Like, I'd even, I've never even noticed that, um, obviously, until playing there. It's amazing, such a massive club and massive, you know, obviously fan base as well. And to score, you know, two goals and get the win there was incredible. Yeah, it must be incredible. But I think possibly the most dramatic one is yet to come just now. Chelsea. Now, Chelsea fans are singing all the way through. You know, we're champions of Europe. We're amazing. We're not going to come back. Giving us abuse as little old Reading. We're nothing. No, they hadn't anticipated Adam Lafondre coming on and breaking their dreams. <laughs> and all those Reading fans, Chelsea fans who live in Reading, had to deal with stick for days afterwards. Oh, that must have been amazing. Yeah, of course, you know. Um, I've, I've watched that back not long ago when I joined here, um, the Premier League India uh, retweeted it. And I didn't realise I come on directly after they score the second. So... God knows what I'm thinking at that point. I'm thinking, you know, obviously, like, for fuck's sake sort of thing, right? I could have come on a little bit earlier and, you know, the game's still in hand. And then, obviously, hope he's put a fantastic pass um, in behind Ivanovic. And I sort of pointed and, you know, like a slide rule pass for me on my left foot and I was hit it first time and, and caught out Turnbull at his near stick. And we've sort of gone, go on then, we'll have a little bit of this. And I think, you know, as, as many teams do, when they get a lead, they drop back a little bit. And once we scored they didn't really get out as much and, you know, use their quality as, as well as they should have. And obviously, we were putting them under immense pressure at that point. Um, and then, you know, obviously, last kick of the game, Feds has punted it up. They've not headed it and not dealt with it. Jimmy, for some reason, headed it. It's not like him. And then Hope's done the maddest cushion header I've ever seen. I don't even know how he's seen me, to be fair, and just dropped it on my foot. Just instead of lashing it, I just thought, oh, I'll just cushion this back across the keeper and and obviously, lucky for me, obviously it went in the top corner and, you know, we all went mental and stuff. And, you know, you see the celebrations again from me. You know what I mean? I'm just running off. Don't even know what I'm doing. Just throwing my hands everywhere. I don't know what I'm doing. Just buzzing my head off. And, um, you know, for me at that time, that's all it was. I was just buzzing. Every time I got on the pitch, I was buzzing, just thinking I'm going to score it. Every time I got on the pitch, I thought, there's a goalie. Let's have it sort of thing. That sensation when you score, though, it must never go away. It doesn't matter what level you're playing at, does it? I mean, it just must be incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, like I say, it's the best feeling you can have in football and probably the best feeling you can have in, in life apart from maybe, obviously, the birth of your child or, or your wedding day. Depending, don't let the missus see this. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's incredible, you know. I love scoring goals. There's nothing better for me, like I say. My game's revolved around scoring goals. Ever since I was five, six years old, that's been driven into me to do. You know, that's sort of been my purpose on a football pitch. I felt as if... That's what I'm about. And you know, like you said at the top of the, of the podcast, when someone says my name, it's normally goals they, they associate with it or poacher. Um, I'd like to think there's a little bit more to me as a footballer than poacher, but you know, definitely goals. I'd like to think that's what I bring and, and that's what I do. Yeah, totally. Even though that we get relegated from the Premier League, you still end up as player of the season for Reading Football Club that season. That must be a lovely thing to have, even despite the fact that we went down. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, it was a great personal achievement for me. Even obviously, the player of the month is something that's amazing. But 
I can't really look on it too fondly because of we got relegated, you know. You know, yeah, I had a great season in the Prem, but it meant for nothing. Um, ultimately, we got relegated and I felt like, you know, I let, let the club down and, you know, as, as players, we did that because we didn't get the results required to stay up. Um, you know, I was obviously bitterly disappointed with that. Um, but obviously, it's nice to have them achievements, but still it would have been heaps better if, you know, they meant something. Do you know what I mean? We stayed up um, and unfortunately we, we didn't do that. Now, obviously, during that period, during the Premier League season, we see a new manager come in in Nigel Adkins. How was your kind of like relationship with Nigel when he came in? Um, yeah, it was kind of good. You know, um, obviously, when he came in, he spoke really highly of me. Um, he's always wanted to sign me when I was younger. Always wanted to work with me and stuff like that. And I was I was buzzing because he he said the right things for me as a player. He said like, look. Just let me sort things out here in the, while we're in the Premier League. Then next season, you're going to be the main striker. You're going to play XX amount. You're going to score this amount. I was like, yeah, buzzing. That's what I want. Um, all I want to do is play games because I know I'll score goals no matter what. Like, realistically, that's you know what I've always said. If I play games consistently, I score goals. I get in a rhythm and I score goals. And I was buzzing with the fact, you know, obviously we changed style a little bit and I thought, you know, this is going to create me a little bit more chances uh, and maybe get me more goals. Um, obviously, I was... I was reasonably happy but obviously still a bit upset obviously that Brian went and obviously the manner of his sacking and the timing of it as well Yeah I mean Clint having a manager who comes in and sets in a hundred goal target he set that for the whole team that was quite an ambitious target I thought did you remember that that put any pressure on the team? Um, For us I don't think for me personally I like that I like someone setting me a goal to go and get and you know try and achieve that um I think he wanted 25 from me that season. And I said, yeah, if you play me 46 games, I'm going to get you 25 goals, like 100%. Like, there's no two ways about that. I remember one of the first meetings we had was that. And I said, yeah. I said, you play me, you get me the right service, and I'll score them goals easy. I'll score more than that. And, he was, and obviously, he was happy with the confidence I was showing, etc. But, you know, throughout the season, I think we, we didn't quite fit his style of play, maybe in the championship. Or we got found out a little bit, you know, towards November, December time and, and then we had to sort of revert to the older style of play uh, previous. When you heard he was announced, did any part of your brain remember two girls at Southampton now? <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. Um, well, yeah, obviously that doesn't really, you know, come into it. I just, I've seen how well he, he brought on Billy Sharp, you know, a similar player to me um, and I just thought this is going to be great for me. Um, you know, obviously Ricky Lambert, someone who I played with when I was younger as well, and seeing him smashing in goals, I thought, you know, this is going to be fantastic for my career as a player. So, you know, I was welcome into it. You score a goal on the first day of the season against Ipswich, and then you do score consecutive hat trick in home games against Bolton and then Blackpool. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? No, that was, it was crazy, weren't it? Realistically, um, you know, I think I got brought off in. Both games. I, might have, I might have brought off in both games or the, definitely the Blackpool game I was fuming was like, I was like nah there's more than three here for me today I was like I, think oh. I remember thinking the same actually I remember thinking why are they taking him off because he's just going to get yeah. more and more yeah I was I remember walking off thinking why has he done this I, obviously I know obviously you need to rest and stuff but I'm thinking you leave me on here I'm getting five like, I'm getting we were cutting him apart even the mm. Bolton game we finished with seven like, I was thinking Obviously, I've let Pav have the pen. I got my hat-trick early. And like, I, I didn't want to give it, if I'm honest. I was like, no, nah, it's mine. I want four. 
And everyone's like, come on, Alf, go on, get him going, you know. I was like, right, all right, I'll give it him. But if he misses, he's never getting a pen again. <laughs> and I was like, right, I was like, right, go on. Obviously, he scored it, to be fair. Like, obviously, obviously, it was a bit jokey, but still, I was like, you know, taking food away from my table there. Do you know what I mean? Like, goals is what I'm about, and I don't like giving them away. Um, and then, obviously, the Blackpool game coming off, I was obviously buzzing. I was like, yes. You know. But then, I see my number, and I was like, okay, yeah, I like it. I'm getting a rest. But then, in the back of my head, I'm like, no, don't like it. Stay on. Get more. But, you know, obviously, I, you, you have to live with them because, obviously, they're trying to do for the better of you as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Unfortunately, that season ends with you get 15 goals from 38 appearances. So, that's, that's a pretty good return, isn't it? You, yeah. you, would you be happy with that? Or I can see the disappointment in your face straight away. Yeah, no. It was average, really. I think, um, I think I was in and out that team quite a lot. I don't think he liked really playing me away from home. Mm. Um, and he, he tended to take me out for the away matches normally, which, you know, ultimately I think just went, went against my rhythm a little bit. Um, there was a part where I think November time, December time, I didn't, I didn't really play too much. And uh, it was looking like I was going to end up leaving in January. Um, I just said like, look, I need to play. Um, can't, I can't not play. I don't want to be like 18th man or whatever. And, to be fair, he was like, "Oh, you're part of the squad, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And I was like, "Yeah, but I want to play." You know what I mean? I'm, I think I'm a, I think I'm a, a, a like a frontline striker. Um, you know, obviously every every player thinks like that should be playing, and you know, obviously I was airing my grievances to give me a proper chance to play. Um, and I think we played we played Brighton in the cup away, and to, to be fair, I think we got beat two 0 or three 0 but I had a reasonably good game to be fair, and. He, uh, he came to see me after the game. He said, "You know what? You played really well. You know, I'm really happy with your performance." And we played Watford away, um, and we won one nil. Casper scored Nedder. I think me and Pat played up front, and Casper scored Nedder off the corner. And he, to be fair, after that game, he was like, "You're outstanding. You know, you're not going anywhere, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Then, obviously, the following week, Bolton happened. Then we we lost at Ipswich when we should have had a pen and and um, we should have beat them. And then we obviously. Blackpool came to town and obviously you got that trip there as well and then and then after that I, f I missed the I missed the chance against Millwall I remember I missed the header when we won 3-0 and for some reason that sort that sort of set me off on a street where I didn't score for I think it was about a month I think I didn't score for a month and then I think I scored against or maybe in a month and a half then I scored against Borough at home on a Tuesday night um and we won, I think, I think we won 2-0 two, two or 2-1. Two uh, and then I scored against Donny just by the end of the season. But by the end of the season, I, I had a problem with my, my tendon. So I wasn't really training. I was just playing. And even in the Burnley game, I come off after 60 because it was like, I thought Miami, but I thought I had uh, my tendon flared up and, you know, it did all my nerves in the back of my hamstring. So I couldn't finish the game, really. It was disappointing, really. It was just an average campaign really I didn't think it was you know amazing it could have been better but it could have been a lot worse I guess yeah we finished just outside the playoffs and such a frustrating season because we were so close if we would have got to that playoffs I mean Reading and playoffs every single playoffs podcast they do comes up I think with a player it's kind of we dread them but we just want to win one one day but it wasn't meant to be, was it? If we got the playoffs, we were going to win it. I think we had that much quality. If we got to the playoffs that season, we were winning it. 
um, 100%. Thought the way the way we were finishing the season, we had a lot of momentum. We just obviously got done with. I think it was a Joa scoring against Forest to Brighton and knocking us out of the playoffs in the 89th minute or whatever. So, um, you know, that, that's what happens in football. Uh, minutes can change games, and you know, moments in games. Obviously, I know myself change matches, and ultimately, that wasn't that wasn't to be for us. Yeah, definitely. And if you'd have scored the goal that took us up through the playoff final, they would have renamed the stadium after you. <laughs> Absolutely. But during that time, we uh, club had major financial issues, which then eventually sees you going to Cardiff City. How did that come about? And did you want to actually leave at that point? Um, they came in for me in, in January. At the end of January, they came in on deadline day. Um, Tried signing them for Solskjaer wanted to take me to the Prem then. Um, but I think, obviously, the money weren't good enough and obviously that got kiboshed. And the club were like, no, no, we're, we're, we're pushing on, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, unbeknown, obviously, what's going on financially at the club at the time. Because at that time as well, I was sort of waiting for my new contracts. Obviously, I wanted to stay at Reading. Obviously, the, the way the club was going at the time, it was in the Premiership. They were in, in March, they were going to offer me a new, new deal. Obviously, Brian goes, Nigel comes in. And then I spoke to Nigel in the summer and said, look, where's my new contract, that sort of thing. And he was like, yeah, we're definitely going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And obviously the financials, obviously dragging in the background with what's going on, that obviously no new deal comes to me. So it gets to that, I think it was May, it was quite early in the, in the window when it was done. It gets to that May and, you know, they've put a bid in, and obviously by my agent said it's got accepted. Um, and it was sort of put across to me that if I didn't go, I think they were looking at selling me or McCarthy at the time. And if one of us didn't go quick, the club was struggling with a tax, a massive tax bill. And, um, you know, at that time, I was sort of bumming and ahhing. Obviously, I wanted to stay because, you know, I'm the main number nine there. I felt we were going to go back. We were going to go back again next season. And, and you know, we're going to be a playoff threat at least, for sure. Um, but obviously, then that sort of reared its head and shown that, you know, the financials are, are going to be a struggle with the, with the club because... You know, if I stay, I put the club in peril. If McCarthy don't go, I don't know what was happening with McCarthy at the time. I think Liverpool were in for him, um, but nothing was really settled or anything. So, um, weren't like pressure was put on my shoulders to, to leave or anything like that. But I just felt like you know this is a great offer from Cardiff. You know, they they're giving me a really good contract, chance to work with you know my boyhood hero, obviously Ollie was the manager. So I don't think if Ollie wasn't the manager, I don't think. Um, I'd have been so eager to join him um, as quick as, as what it happened because um, the chance to work with, with him was something I you know I dreamed of as a, as a lad because um, I, I loved him as a player I loved everything about him his ruthlessness um, you know his finishing ability the way he conducted himself as a player on and off the field um, you know that, that sort of thing sort of you know stuck out for me and sort of dragged me in and you know obviously with with the tax hit coming on Reading and obviously the realistically me not getting a new contract coming in the foreseeable future because financially <laughs> they were troubled. So, you know, it's, it just seemed the best decision for me to sort of help the club by leaving. But, you know, ultimately, you know, do you regret it? No, I don't know. If I, I don't think I regret it, but, um, you know, I, I would have liked to have been at Reading, you know, for longer, but it's football, you know what I mean? Them sort of decisions live and die by them you know I moved to Cardiff and, and that was that yeah I'm just kind of did you kind of just imagine that one day he'd also be manager of Manchester United 
Um, not particularly at the time, because obviously I only worked for, with Ollie for like 10, 12 mm. games, and you know, we sort of got chucked away by Vincent Tan quite early. And I was quite shocked at that, really, because we were, we were just sort of knitting together a team at, at the time. You know, we had a lot of good players, and he was sort of working out his best 11. So um, I think sort of Vincent Tan sort of made an educated decision that, you know what, I don't think we're going to make the Premier, so let's start shedding everyone. Start getting rid of people, and you know, Ollie was the first one to go, unfortunately. And you know, I was disappointed in that because obviously the main reason he going there was to work with him, and if for him to go after 12 games was disappointing for me. Um, and then him to go Molde, go he went obviously back to Norway and went and did successful things there. And you know, he did a great job when he was interim manager at United, so you know, obviously fair play to him. Yeah, Vincent Tang coming up there, changing their colours to red. I mean. <laughs> He's <laughs> quite an interesting man. Obviously, you've uh, probably met Vincent Tan as well. No, I've not met him. Before. No, met, never. Uh, okay. Never met Vincent. No, he's, um, um, it was Mehmet Dalman I met, who's, who's a great man, and, and Ken Chu as well, who was you know, a nice man as well. You know, I have nothing but good words to say about Cardiff. They, they, they were fine with me. They, it just obviously didn't work out as, for a player at, at that club at the time. Yeah, you then move on to Bolton and Wanderers, who then you definitely had a much better uh, time there, uh, managing to get them promoted from the League One as runners-up. Talk us through your time at Bolton, both of them, really. Yeah, well, I had an amazing time. You know, when I went on loan there the first time, I scored eight in 17, 16, something like that. I'll, yeah, that's I'll... absolutely spot on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved it, you know. Um, they were giving me something that, Cardiff couldn't at the time and that was like game time 100% and chances like I was a bit starved of, of chances in the role I was at at Cardiff whereas at Bolton I had Neil Lennon who fell over backwards to sign me he was I had I had a, a phone call on the Wednesday I remember I was out for lunch with my wife and I took a call off Chris Powell uh, who was at Huddersfield at the time and he was like look we'd love you to come you know but very calm collective manner and then I had Lenny on the phone. He was like, no, you're not going anywhere else. I'm desperate to sign you. Effing and Jeffing. It's like Christmas has come early. Get to Bolton. We want you now. So I was like, right, okay. He's desperate to get me. I want to play for a manager who's you know, desperate to get me. Not to say Chris Powell wasn't desperate to get me, but by the way Lenny portrayed it, he was, you know, he'd do anything to get me. And you know, that I was drove up that afternoon. I was like, right, come on then, let's have it sort of thing. And he was he was buzzing with it. He was like, I've been trying to sign you for years, trying to sign you for Celtic, um, et cetera, et cetera. But now I've got you in all this. So I, it's always me. I was like a little kid, just like, yeah. Ah, ah. Just like buzzing off it, my confidence, ego growing and all sorts. Like, because it felt like I could do no wrong for him because he loved me that much already. And then obviously I had a great time there. I scored goals freely. You know, I played with Zach Clough, who's an amazing young player. Um, got managed to play with Emil Heskey, who was unbelievable. Uh, a little bit like Robbo, you know, I think people thought he was past it, but he definitely wasn't. He was, he was big Emil, was quality. Uh, you know, I had a good Johnson as well, feeding me through in games. So, you know, I got to play with some, you know, class acts as well. Um, you know, I was delighted with my time there. And, you know, the fans really talked to me and, and, and loved me. And, you know, it was reciprocated as well. You know, you know, it's like as a goal scorer, going to fans and, and you scoring goals and they love you for that, obviously. That's why I had a great time at Redden and Rotherham and, and Rochdale. Um, and obviously, at Bolton was the same. You know, they decided to go fund me page after I left to bring me back. But obviously, financial trouble at them again. And my um, work managed to go back there. I think it was 18 months before I could go back there again. And um, 
I sort of cut short my spell at, at Wigan because it weren't really working. I weren't really playing. The manager weren't really having me. So I thought I'm not going to do this again. Already had a season of this at Wolves. So there wasn't a chance of me wasting another six months waiting. So I went back to Bolton, took a bit of a pay cut. Um, and we had a great squad there at that time. We, we were a championship squad in League One. So there was no way we weren't going to get promoted. Um, you know, it was just a bit of an adjustment period for me. I had not played large spells in the champ with Wigan. So... And when I have been playing, I've been playing left wing for them. So you can imagine I was being a little bit frustrated at that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was quite puzzled as well at the time. Um, and then obviously went back to Bolton and started scoring goals. Once I you know, got into a rhythm, I scored goals throughout till the end of the season and you know, scored on the last day of the season as well and scored and set one up when we got promoted as well. So, you know, I was delighted to be part of that. And, you know, the season after that, um, started that season, in the first game, in the second game, obviously scored the first game against Leeds and then didn't play till, when was it, 28th of December, which was disappointing for me because for me, I felt like I was one of the main players in the squad at that time and I should be playing because we weren't picking up results at the time either, which was, you know, if you're not picking up results and I'm still not playing, this is there something wrong with me as a player? That's obviously the question you have. And um, I think I came, I came in and uh, we played Sheffield United away came in, set up a goal uh, for Medine. We won 1-0 away. And then I was out the squad again. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, not sure how this is going to work. I'm not going to keep doing this. Like, And then at the end of that window, Medine goes and I'm still there. Um, and then, you know, to be fair, I, I started playing. And then once I started playing, I started scoring, which, you know, I've always said that that, that sort of happens when I, when I play regularly, get into rhythm and I score. And, um, you know, it sort of led to the Forest game, which was incredible, really. You know, it was like highs and lows, really. The, the day before the game, um, I get dropped and sort of have a bit, little bit of an argument with uh, Parky. And then, you know, the day of the game, obviously, you, you, as a player, you focused on the game. So, you know, it's gone. Obviously, uh, I'm disappointed to be on the bench, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a player. You've got to get on with that. Um, and I come on, make score the first goal. The crowd's electric. Um, they score a goal 2-1 up it's like oh shit like what have I come on to here now what have I done this this doesn't normally happen when I come on um, and then I set up Wheater in about the 87th minute he's took one away and then in the, in the 93rd minute so the keeper's hit a big massive long ball Carl Henry's flicked it on I've managed to get a channel run in behind um, Forrest and just flick one up and you know Albie's um, done a great movement and got in front of the defender and hit it back across him and um, I've not even celebrated with the boys. I've, my wife and family are in a box um, and I'm celebrating in front of them to them and they're going mad up there. The fans are going mad. It was That moment is better than the season before getting promoted. Uh, it was almost as good as the Southampton moment, but not quite. But, you know, it's, it's the weirdest moment I've ever had in a football pitch because I've done something amazing but won nothing at the same time. Like, it was incredible to to stay up that day when everyone had us relegated. The results obviously went for us, but everyone had us relegated, like Bolton down. Even though it wasn't done before the game, they were like, nah, nah, Bolton ain't staying up. It's who, who's going to stay up, Burton or Barnsley? Let's see. And then to come up trumps in the 93rd minute, it's something that, like this Southampton game, will live with me for the rest of my life. And, you know, forever when I watch it, get goosebumps or, you know, will smile at the, the, the TV watching it because... It's something that is imprinted on me as a, as a massive, massive achievement for me.
goal when it came in across Sky. And even I celebrated. Obviously, I'm not a Bolton fan, but I thought that is so out. Just the last minute. And it just keeps up a club, just from nowhere. It's going, I mean, the game looked like it was over, didn't it, really? As you were just saying, it was really in danger. But to have that, you just think, because there's such a connection between Red and fans and yourself, because you've given us such great memories. And kind of, I just, you could feel it on my Twitter. Everyone was saying, oh, yes, Alf is there. He's done it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, to be fair, you know, um, that's what's been amazing for me and touched me so much is, you know, I've had, obviously I've had a lot of clubs in my career, but the the response I've had for the clubs, obviously that I've had a special relationship, obviously the Rotherham fans forever tweeting me saying, come home, come home. Reading fans forever tweeting me, come home, come home. <laughs> Bolton fans, come home, please come home. You know, that sort of thing. I, I look at it and smile and love them sort of things because, you know, ultimately when I look back at my career, they're the sort of things that I'll remember the most is obviously the players I've played with and the moments I've shared, but, you know, the interaction with, with the fans, you know, messaging me saying, please come home, do you remember this? Do you remember that? Of course I remember it because, you know, I sort of live through my goals all the time. So, um, you know, I love that sort of thing because, you know, we've shared special moments together as players, as fans, as a club. Um, yeah, it's something that for me will I'll always remember and it will special will hold a special place for me forever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally, totally. And then you end up moving to Sydney FC when yet again Joan Carachan follows you to a country and a place quite soon afterwards. He seems yeah. to get into the habit he did it with Bolton as well. But uh it's kind of just a huge success there as well at Sydney for a couple of years. A couple of A-League Championship, one Premiership and just ridiculous amount of goals again. How did you find it playing in Australia and how did it come about? Yeah, I loved it. Um, I found it, you know, it's tough um, adjusting to like the pitches, the style of play. But um, the one thing for me, Sydney made it very easy for me. They, they got a style of play which suits me down to the ground really, you know. I love pressing, I love getting in the box and scoring goals. So, you know, they provide me the crosses or chances for me to score goals and put me in them positions, which is great. And, you know, they let me go and press like a madman when I want. So, um, you know, they're, they're sort of like a match made in heaven, it was for me in Sydney. Um, uh, I, I followed a, a player in there, Bobo, who, who scored, you know, a stupid amount of goals just before me as well. So, um, you know, I sort of wanted that challenge as well. I had a couple of offers prior um, in the A-League to join out there and, they never really, you know, sort of came to the fore or, you know, formalised. And and then Sydney, you know, we had a, a few talks with Sydney. They sort of vetted me as a player and as a person. Would I fit the group? Would my personality fit the group? And, you know, obviously I passed them tests. Um, then obviously everything else was sort of taking care of itself. And it was sort of just down to me and my wife. Um, we sat down one, one evening and it was not long before the season started at Bolton. And I had a really good pre-season at Bolton. And I thought, you know what? could be different this year. I'm going to play. Because um, obviously the season before became disillusioned, not playing for a long period and then getting dropped for the last game. And I just thought, I just don't want that again. I'm 31, 32 at that time. I don't want that. Like At that, at that point in my career, I don't want to be used as a bit part player. I don't need to be. Like I, I think I'm better than that, especially with you know in the squad. Um, I think I've proved them better than that. So I was one, I was just hoping for a bit more confidence. Um, and then in pre-season, I was playing, starting the, the nine, scoring goals. And then we got to the, the start of the season. And I was on the bench at West Brom away. I was like, yeah, I could understand that. You know, it's a tough away game. 
you're not really going to go and be open there. We won one there, which was I was happy with. You know, I understood the role there. You know, we were an unfancied team going to an ex-prem team. You know, I had to understand my role. Um, and then obviously we played I think Bristol City at home, and I thought he's going to play me here. And I didn't obviously want to keep winning teams. So for me, I just thought I'm not going to keep going through this. I'm not going to be you know, sat on the bench for however long and, and then rolled out one game then put back on the bench. And I didn't want to do that anymore. And um, For me, the decision the decision for, for me was easy football-wise because I knew I was going to play every game and, and obviously I knew I was going to score goals to so back myself. But the decision was more, the bigger decision was for my family was my wife and children going to be able to adapt. Could we cope out there? Uh, obviously, t- taking her away from her support network, um, the kids away from their friends and family. Um, ultimately, you know, my wife, amazing person, was unbelievable because without her, I couldn't have achieved what I achieved in, in Australia because, you know, over there, obviously, it's, it's a nice life being a footballer, but um, the three-day weekends where I'm away, the, a week I'm away from Champs League um, when I'm flying to Asia, you know, she's out in Australia, no friends, no family with the with the three kids. It's obviously hard and it's demanding. Um so for her to cope with that was, was amazing and she's an, an amazing person for me to, to lean on because she was all, she's also very honest with my football as well. So she'll also tell me a very straight and a very straightforward what she thinks. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's quite nice to hear that because she knows what the player I am and doesn't want me settling for anything less. And um, you know, she, she was brilliant like that. And um, once she okayed the move and, you know, we both agreed that it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be an amazing life experience, which it was, you know, unbelievable experience. Um, you know, we, we were straight away going there and, you know, I flew out there two days later. I went in the de- next day, sat down with Parky and just went, look, um, I want to rip up my last year, please. I want to go to Australia. I've got a good deal. I want to go there. And to be fair to Parky, he was amazing. He, he just went, yeah, you know, fair play. You've been, you've been amazing for us. Um, you know, we wish you well sort of thing. I'll sort that out. But, but to be fair, he was like, but I had you down to play tomorrow night against Leeds in the Cup. And I was like, oh, oh I'm flying out tomorrow. <laughs> like, they want me to fly out tomorrow to go and sign. And he was like, oh, oh, okay then. So, to be fair, he was brilliant with it. Um, and then that was it. You know, I flew out there and, you know, the rest is sort of history. You know, got in with the boys for four weeks. The missus and, 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 and my family sorted out, you know, packing up our, our family home. And we told the schools, I, I drove around places trying to get us a house and um, managed to do that. Um, and then, obviously, you know, like I say, the rest is history. We had a great time in, in Sydney because you know, the, the club were, were brilliant with me as well. They they helped me with all viewings and obviously they gave me a car. They sorted me all, all the stuff I needed, you know, that I didn't want. Not, well, not that I didn't want to take care of, that I didn't need as an extra hassle to take care of. They did all that for me and... Um, which was great for me. So it took that, um, you know, I could focus on getting the house, getting stuff ready for when my wife and children were coming and, and sort of the school out and stuff like that. Must have been a beautiful city to live in as well. As well. Yeah, to be amazing. Like... amazing. It's such an amazing place. Um, you know, it really was, um, you know, it was, it was tough at first without family and friends to get used to, but, you know, obviously you, you build friends over time and, and then sort of network. So I had an amazing time there. I loved my time there. Um, it was unfortunate what happened with the league um, and the financial situation with what happened with COVID and stuff like that. It sort of, you know, again, forced my hand, really. 
Um, but you know, that like I say, that's football. Um, but yeah, an amazing place. Uh, I can definitely see myself going back there. You know, if if it's on holiday or whatever, or you know, it's something that um, you know, like I say, an amazing place, great place to be, great place to live. Yeah. Totally. Now you're at Mumbai City Football Club. I was looking through some of their ex-players, Diego Forlan, Anelka, Freddie Lundberg. Uh, a little bit of pressure there, Alf. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I don't go for easy challenges. It's the point in that. Um, yeah. So yeah, how's that one come about then? Well, to be fair, the, the, the Sydney <laughs> were fantastic with it. Um, you know, they sort of come forward um, when it came apparent that I weren't going to stay at Sydney. They sort of helped me find out clubs who would, you know, would um, be able to take me and afford me sort of thing and you know Mumbai were one of them um, they came forward spoke to their all their the, the represent people you know the CEO the, the football people there and obviously the manager as well it was important I spoke to the manager and you know obviously I want to see how he's going to use me and uh, will I fit his tactics and stuff and as soon as that came apparent that that's going to work then you know that was an easy decision for me to make the only obviously bad decision is that, oh, not bad decision, but the only bad thing about it is that, you know, my family can't um, enjoy this journey with me because of COVID, because COVID's pretty much shut down, you know, mm. the world. So India have, you know, made a bubble and, and sort of tried to make it impenetrable. So they don't want to bring in family and I don't want to subject my family to, you know, two, two times a week COVID tests and, you know, them sort of things. I don't think my uh, four-year-old, six-year-old and 10-year-old would, uh, would appreciate that just sat in a hotel room doing that so um you know there's, there's a little bit of pain of five months away from them but you know it is what it is um and i'll see him again at the end of the season when i've hopefully when i've won the title there we go straight that confidence there again isn't it straight away <laughs> yeah being stuck in a hotel room with a four-year-old and a six-year-old i wouldn't wish that on anyone that would that would be too much to deal with <laughs> no so, it's hard enough when, when the house with us so um, no, to be fair, I, I do miss them, you know, even just being away for 10 days now, um, you know, them little things when they do annoy you and stuff like that, you know, you can't take them for granted, but uh, yeah, it would be carnage, I'm not going to lie. It also frees you up to play NBA, doesn't it, Alf? One of your new passions that we've seen a lot of. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've turned me on to a bit of streaming now, so, um, you know, I've been on Twitch a little bit, I'm on Pro Evo a little bit streaming that. I've got an NBA, but no one plays it online. So I'm trying to get on the park and play it, but no one wants to play with me. I've not got <laughs> enough ranking to get people, like random players to come and play with me. And I'm on the Asian servers as well. So obviously um, when my friends come and play with me, there's delays massive. So, and don't help the Wi-Fi is not the best there. So, you know, I'm sort of handicapping myself before I even start, but you know, I love it. So it's, it's good fun. The real struggles of life there, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Cool. cool. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Really appreciate your time. An absolute Reading FC legend. Everyone who's listened to this, I'm sure, will love it. Uh, thanks again. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you.